Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And it's original versus remake time again. That time of the month again. It has been a hectic October and honestly, the fact that you guys have still been listening regularly, like twice a week to us, three times a week this week, it's, it's been insane. So thank you for... Uh, Sticking with it, and yes, I'm, I'm glad it, it went that way, and it didn't go the way of people having enough of listening to our voices. Yeah, <laughs> I've had enough of talking. Um, but... but no, so yeah, cheers, <laughs> cheers for listening. And it has, uh, these episodes have been a lot of fun. They have, yeah. I'm, I'm only joking. Yes, they've been a lot of fun to record and research and and such. Yes. So and they've uh, all been good films. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> that's changing on Tuesday. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> bringing, um, bringing up the word fun was appropriate for this, because this month we are talking Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, so this was my decision, and I thought for, for Halloween, original versus remake, I'd go a little different, and we've got a pure comedy and a pure musical. Yeah. But very much uh, embedded in horror, though, the, the themes. Yeah, and... monster movies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I thought I'd go a little different than uh, what would be expected. Well, not classing the Beast of Bunny. This might be the first monster movie we've discussed on the podcast, I think. Yeah, I think so, potentially. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely the first musical, I'm sure. Yes, yeah, definitely. Oh, no, no, it's not. No. Xanadu. Oh, yeah. Can't stop, can't the, music. stop the music. Yeah. Well, I suppose Can't Stop the Music is a fucking monster movie. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> that bad. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Pretty bad. <laughs> What's his name? Piece of shit that's, like, really fucking unlikable in it. Oh, uh, Bruce Jenner. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Or, or Caitlyn Jenner, as uh, she's now called. So, the, looking at the polls for Little Shop of Horrors, 10% of you said 1960, and 90% of you said 1986. Now, look, I agree, but I think 1960 is more than 10%, because this is one of those rare cases where both the remake and original are solid, and it's a very close call. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by the original. I'd seen the remake, of course, um, but I hadn't seen the original and pleasantly surprised. So the original works because it's amateur. It, it works because it's impressive for what it is on such a micro budget, whereas the remake works because of how big it is and it's a very big scale. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're talking about very big differences in budget. Yeah. Absolutely. So starting in 1960, Little Shop of Horrors was directed by horror legend Roger Corman. Uh, made on a budget of $27,000. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, tiny. Yeah, that's a very small budget. Um, I mean, that's what he's famous for. Yeah. Roger Corman. Small budgets. Get it out quick. Make a quick buck. Yeah. Out of it. Yeah. Howard R. Cohen learned from Charles B. Griffith that when the film was being edited, there was a point where two scenes were not cut together. It was just a visual jolt and it didn't work and they needed something to bridge that moment. They found in the editing room a nice shot of the moon they cut in and it worked. 20 years ago, uh, 20 years go by, uh, and he was at the studio one day and uh, Chuck 
without a surname, apparently to IMDb, comes running up to him and says, you've got to see this, and it was a magazine article, eight pages on the symbolism of the moon in a little shop of horrors. Oh, God. <laughs> the trivia for this film is great. Chuck will be Charles, won't it? Yeah. Dick Miller genuinely ate flowers for the film. <laughs> so actor legend uh, Dick Miller is in this. He is. Very early role for him, but he looks exactly the same. Yeah, he's never looked any different. He's never looked any different. <laughs> a young, speaking of acting legends, uh, a young Jack Nicholson is only uh, a small part as Fab's uh, weird patient, Wilberforce. Uh, later, however, as the actor's career began to take off, he was prominently featured on the home video releases to help generate interest in the film. Of course. Honestly... I thought he was playing Seymour in this because I, whenever I've seen this anywhere, like from the first time I've seen it up until like the release we have, it, yeah. it's uh, part of a box set, but still the image on front of it is Jack Nicholson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I've always noticed as a Jack Nicholson little shot of horrors. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. But he is literally in one scene. And, and it's a great scene, but he is only in one scene. Yeah. Um, Charles B. Griffith put several of his relatives in the film. Uh, his grandmother is in it. Uh, his uh, his father's in it. He also plays several of his relatives in the crowd scenes. And the bums in the background of the street shots on Skid Row are real, um, are real homeless people. And were filmed in the actual Skid Row area of Los Angeles, California. There we are. Low budget. <laughs> Obviously, remade as a successful stage musical that was made into the film we'll be talking about shortly. Uh, and the success of that led to the animated series, uh, Little what? Shop. Yeah. With a very low rating on IMDb, by the way. Oh, wow. What year was that? 1991. Oh, wow. I, I never knew. And Roger Corman was a consultant on it. It makes sense. Yeah. The story lends itself to a cartoon. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very famous uh, for being shot in two days um, as a challenge. Uh, but uh, apparently to uh, Jonathan Hayes, who uh, in the Little Shop of Horrors book, he said uh, he was called back several weeks later for reshoots. Um, and again, it was based on a bet that Roger Corman could not complete a film within two weeks. However, this claim has been denied by Mel Wells. Uh, according to uh, Joseph, uh, Corman shot... Uh, Joseph? They do not like putting surnames on this trivia. Um, <laughs> Corman shot the film quickly in order to beat changing industry rules that would have prevented producers from buying out an actor's performance in a per per perpetuity. Great words are failing me again. On January 1st, 1960, new rules were to go into effect requiring producers to pay all actors um, residuals for all future releases of their work. This meant that Corman's B-movie business model uh, would be permanently changed and he would not be able to produce low-budget movies in the same way. Before these rules went into effect, Corman decided to shoot one last film and scheduled it to happen the last week in December 1959. Ah, oh, I see. Okay, that makes... I, when you were reading that out, I was like, none of this is making any sense, but it does now. Yeah, so Jack Nicholson probably still gets a cheque for... Yeah, of course he does. <laughs> you know, 50 cents every uh, two years for his role. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is oh, public no, domain. He wouldn't, because it was made before then. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, he wouldn't. I'm, he wouldn't I'm get pretty sure this is public because. domain as well. Uh, I think, yeah, yeah, I think it is public domain now. 
Dick Miller was originally offered the role of Seymour, um, but he declined it himself because he wanted to be the flower eater. Okay. <laughs> wanted to eat some flowers. <laughs> uh, the film. Was... He wouldn't have worked as Seymour, by the way. No, he wouldn't have. No. no. The film's musical score uh, was originally written for A Bucket of Blood. The um, film A Bucket of Blood. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, apparently uh, the score was used in total seven films, including The Wasp Woman and Creature from the Haunted Sea. Yeah, it's not necessarily a standout no. soundtrack, is it? Uh, the film was originally released on a double feature with Black Sunday and later on a double bill with Last Woman on Earth. That's so weird, Black Sunday. And they're very different films. Very different films. Very different. Uh, moving on to Little Shop of Horrors, released in 1986, directed by Frank Oz, as in Yoda, Frank Oz. Yeah. Did he direct many films? Yes, he did. Uh, did he? Yeah, Frank Oz directed quite a few films. Uh, He's probably most known for his work with the Muppets. Yeah, that's he true. He directed the Muppets films and such. So, going from the original's budget of 27000 this was made for $25 million. Quite the jump. <laughs> Quite the jump. I suppose 26 years in between, but yeah. I couldn't get um, the gross for the original, but this one made $38.9 million worldwide the box office so not the biggest success no that's not massive is it no and I've always that's always been one thing that I've immediately I've always associated with this film is that it wasn't exactly a success and it's become a cult film um, as part of the film's promotion the Audrey 2 plant was occasionally interviewed in character by the press on um, <laughs> at least one occasion the interview concluded with Audrey 2 eating the interviewer <laughs> it's the 80s <laughs> Mean Green Mother from Outer Space uh, is the first Oscar-nominated song to contain profanity. Oh, okay. Oh, so that one was written specifically for the film? Yeah. Oh, I see. Because I'm going to say it's not the best film on the sound... Uh, best song best on film the on the soundtrack. You know what I mean. <laughs> the dentist's office originally was more grungy and blood-splattered, but those details did not go over well with test audiences. The set was cleaned up and the scenes reshot for the final film. This is a very... Dark film. I mean, so is the original to a certain extent. But this is very dark, especially the director's cut ending, when it's just like a massacre. Oh my god, the director's cut ending is really sad. Yeah. I was like, it's horrible. There, there's some facts about that coming up. Um, the puppeteers who designed and operated Audrey 2 were veterans of Jim Henson's company. Uh, one of them was Brian Henson, Jim's son. So they, you can tell this is Jim Henson. Yeah, you can. Yeah, and, and obviously Frank Oz would have had a close relationship with them. Yeah. Um, the old woman who begins the song Skid Row is Tony-nominated singer-actress comedian uh, Beatrice Redding. Did you know that? Bat- no. Beatrice Redding, sorry? No, I didn't know that was her. Um, and it's been reported that her voice is overdubbed by Michelle Weeks, who played Renette and performed the verse for the alternative version on the soundtrack album. Oh. Why would they? In fact... She's a Tony Award nominee. The mystery unravels some more. She actually sang her part in the song live on the set. Ah. And it was her final film appearance for her death in 1991. She's got a cracking voice. Yeah. On credit to her. Yeah. And to sing live like that as well and have it kept in the film, that's very, very rare that anything like that ever happens. Absolutely. Uh, This was filmed on the 007 stage at Pinewood Studios. Okay. Doesn't look like James Bond. No, no, very different. <laughs> very different. <laughs> uh, when it came out in 1986, it was the most expensive movie that Warner Brothers had ever produced. 
with a budget of 25 million, even surpassing Alien, which had a budget of 18 million. You can tell it's very. Uh, I, I want to. I don't. I want to say extravagant. It is extravagant because yeah. it's all, you know, the sets have all been built. The Audrey 2s have all been built. You know, they're all mm. manual and, and such. You know, this was before CGI. Um, so a lot of, I think a lot of that budget would have went clearly into set design and um, animatronics. Well, I mean, that's... One of the things about here is the fact that there was no blue screens or opticals involved in Audrey 2. It was all constant, practical. Um, it ha- Apparently, it had to be cleaned, repainted and patched up at the end of each shooting day, which took up to three hours, depending on the size oh, wow. that they were using at the time. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, the filmmakers originally offered the role of Audrey to Cindy Lauper. That would have worked. Yeah. I would have loved to see that. Although um, Alan Green does a great job. Well, Lauper wanted the part but couldn't commit due to a recording and touring schedule at the time. And Madonna was also considered for the role as well. Madonna, it wouldn't have, I don't think it would have worked with Madonna. No. No, Madonna's too... But imagine hearing her on no songs. That would have been great. <laughs> yeah, that would have been great. Madonna's a little too sexual, I think, for, for that. And that's obviously no disservice to Madonna. Eddie Murphy was originally considered for the role of uh, Audrey 2, for the voice. Okay, that would have worked. Yeah. Yeah, that Se- would have worked. Second film in one week where Eddie Murphy's been considered for a role and didn't get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, but he would have fit this one. He, yeah. He, he wouldn't have worked for Candyman. Uh, this movie got glowing reviews, better reviews than the original. Uh, both Siskel and Ebert, regulars on the podcast, gave it two huge thumbs up on their TV show. Yeah, it's a great film. And Siskel said it was one of the most entertaining movies of 1986. Yeah. Yeah, it's pure entertainment, which is why the director's cut is so jarring. Yeah. It's a bit... Yeah, it's pretty sad. <laughs> uh, the actress playing Crystal... Uh, the actresses, sorry, playing Crystal, Renette and um, Chiffon rehearsed a brief dance solo that would have appeared during the dentist song. I would have loved that. Because it, I think they're great in this. They film. are. They are. They they really stand out. Yeah, they they really do. Yeah, they're like they're like a a, a Greek chorus, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, the reason it's cut is because they thought it'd be too distracting of Steve Martin's performance, and it would have been potentially. Yeah. It would have been. Steve Martin's great in this film. What's What's really interesting? One of my favorite facts from this is the fact that. When it was originally uh, going into production, Steven Spielberg was attached to produce and Martin Scorsese was going to direct. Wow. <laughs> Imagine that. He did a musical, didn't he? Did he? Yeah, I think it was New York, New York. He did. Um, yeah. With Liza Minnelli, which, if, if I remember correctly, was a big box office bomb. Oh. I don't think it did very well. It wasn't particularly well received. John Landis was also attached to direct for a while and that would work. Yeah, I think John Landis was attached to direct everything. Yeah, it's true. Uh, plans for a sequel were announced but never materialised, which is a shame. What well, the director's cut? Well, no, because obviously the theatrical cut. The theatrical very different. Uh, the film was originally intended to be a summer blockbuster with a release date of July 2nd, 1986, but a pair of disastrous test screenings pushed the release back until December 19th. Oh, I wonder what... Did they have to do reshoots? Yes. Yeah? Oh, wow. Uh, one of the only monster movie musicals ever made, along with the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed-up zombies, which is now on my watch list. 
Uh, it should have been on your watch list. Because <laughs> Do you know about this? Yes, because obviously because it's got a ridiculously long title. Yeah. Um, but it also, that documentary we watched uh, about the 100 worst films of all time, that was number one oh. on that. Yeah, I've been, been meaning to watch that for a long time now. <laughs> We're not doing it on the podcast because I ain't reading out that title <laughs> constantly for an hour and a half. In nineteen ninety eight, a special edition DVD was released with the alternate "Everybody Dies" ending. The DVDs were yanked off the shelves a few days after release yeah. and replaced the DVDs without that ending uh, because David Geffen wanted to re-release the film in theaters with the gruesome ending, uh, and it was restored fourteen years later, which is what we have now: the director's cut Blu-ray. People complained about Frank Oz changing the dark ending uh, of the blue of the Broadway musical, which has Audrey Two killing Seymour and taking over the world. So obviously that's the director's cut ending. Uh, in the theatrical cut, Oz, uh, who thought the ending would turn off audiences, had Seymour killing Audrey Two and being triumphant in the ending. Yeah, so the original ending, which we're going to talk about in detail, is one we watched. Uh, is just batshit crazy. It's full monster movie creature feature it is the the end scene is yeah um leading up to that it's a great homage to like godzilla and king kong yeah. and such you know yeah. it's at that point where you're like okay frank oz loves monster movies clearly yeah uh, the tie-in trading card set released by tops contain many shots of scenes now deleted from the movies including movies and movie including images of the plants taking over New York, Audrey being eaten, and pieces of the dis- deleted extended song sequence. So that's your, your director's yeah. cut, and then the uh, extended dance sequence. And if you put the back of the training cards together, it forms a larger picture of the plants attacking the Brooklyn Bridge. Oh. That would have been amazing time. So, so did Italy get a different version of the film, or just... Maybe. The Italian trading cards were different. I'm not sure. Don't know. But I'm going to hand it over to you. Yes. For our summary for 1960. Okay. Are you ready for this? Um, I am. <laughs> so, Penny Pinching Gravis Mushnick owns a florist shop staffed by himself and two employees. The sweet Audrey Fulquard and the clumsy Seymour Crowboyned. Excuse the pronunciation there. Located on Skid Row, the rundown shop gets a little business. When Seymour fouls up a floral arrangement for sadistic dentist Dr. Farb, Mushnick fires him, hoping to change his mind. Seymour tells him about a special plant he's grown from seeds he got from a Japanese gardener over on Central Avenue. Seymour admits that he named the plant Audrey Jr., which delights the real Audrey. Seymour fetches his sickly, odd-looking potted plant, but Mushnick is unimpressed. When it is suggested that Audrey Jr.'s uniqueness might attract people to see it, Mushnick gives Seymour one week to revive it. The usual kinds of plant food do not nourish the plant, though. But when Seymour accidentally pricks his finger, he discovers that the plant craves blood. Fed on Seymour's blood, Audrey Jr. begins to grow and the shop's revenues increase when curious customers are lured in to see the plant. Mushnick tells Seymour to refer to him as Dad from then on and calls Seymour his son in front of a customer. The plant develops the ability to speak and demands that Seymour feed it. Now anemic, Seymour walks along the railroad track when he carelessly throws a rock to vent his frustration. 
he inadvertently knocks out a man who falls on the track and is run over by a train. <laughs> he tries to get rid of the body by throwing it away and burying it in a yard, but is nearly caught both times. Guilt-ridden, but resourceful, Seymour decides to feed the mutilated body parts to Audrey Jr. Meanwhile, Mushnick returns to the shop to get some cash and secretly observes Seymour feeding the plants. Mushnick considers telling the police, but procrastinates when he sees the line of people waiting to spend money at his shop the next day. Seymour arrives the next morning, suffering from a toothache. Despite not going to the police, Mushnick still confronts Seymour about Audrey Jr.'s eating habits, while not explicitly, explicitly revealing when he knows about the plant. Seymour grows increasingly distressed as he realises that his boss is on to him. After finishing his rant, Mushnick sends Seymour to the dentist soon after. Audrey runs up and declares that the shop needs many more flowers. When Seymour visits Mr. Farb, the doctor tries to get even for his ruined flowers from earlier. Uh, Seymour, defending himself, sorry, grabs a sharp tool and stabs and kills Farb. Although horrified, Seymour feeds Farb's body to Audrey Jr. The unexplained disappearances of the two men attract the attention of Sergeant Joe Fink and his assistant, Officer Frank Stooley. Audrey Jr. has grown several feet tall and is budding, as is the relationship between Seymour and Audrey. A representative of the Society of Silent Flower Observers of Southern California comes to the shop and announces that Seymour will receive a trophy and that she will return when the plant's buds open. While Seymour and Audrey go on a date, Mushnick stays at the shop to see that Audrey Jr. harms no one. Mushnick finds himself at the mercy of a robber who pretended to be a customer earlier that day and believes that the huge crowds he was among at the shop indicates the presence of a large amount of money. Mushnick tricks the robber into thinking that the money is hidden in the plant, which crushes and eats him. When Seymour is forced to damage his relationship with Audrey to keep her from discovering the plant's nature, he confronts the plant and asserts that he will no longer do its bidding. The plant then hypnotises Seymour and commands him to bring him more food. He wanders the night streets and accidentally knocks out a streetwalker <laughs> who he takes to feed Audrey Jr. Lacking clues about the mysterious disappearances of the two men. Well, a streetwalker who desperately tries to fuck him before he accidentally knocks her out. That's what a streetwalker is. It's a prostitute. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying that whole scene is just her yeah, desperately is. trying to fuck him. <laughs> well, she wants his money, don't she? Fink and Stooley attend a sunset celebration at the shop during which Seymour is presented with the trophy and Audrey Jr.'s buds are expected to open. As the attendees watch, four buds open. Inside each flower is the face of one of the plant's victims. Fink and Stooley realise that Seymour is the murderer. He flees from the shop with the officers in pursuit. He manages to lose them and make his way back to the now empty shop. Grabbing a kitchen knife, Seymour climbs into Audrey Jr.'s mouth, saying, I'll feed you like you've never been fed before. Later that evening, it is discovered that Audrey Jr. has begun to wither and die. One final bud opens to reveal Seymour's face. He pitifully moans, I didn't mean it, and the flower droops, apparently ending Audrey Jr.'s life. <laughs> so just a little different. So that's a very batshit crazy film. <laughs> Slightly different with songs. 1980 opens with uh, space scrolling like Star Wars. 
and gives us exposition about Audrey 2. We get an intro song uh, about the little shop of horrors. And Audrey is introduced and has a black eye, Seymour's clumsy and Mushnick's angry. Which pretty much sets them up for the rest of the film. We get a song about what life's like on Skid Row. Um, Seymour has a strange and interesting plant that he thinks will put the florist back in business. And he's named it Audrey 2 after Audrey. To which she responds, ah! She does, yeah. <laughs> She does a lot of that in this film. <laughs> he puts it in the window, they immediately have a new customer. And Seymour sings a song about how he found Audrey 2 during a total eclipse of the sun and brought it from an old Chinese man for a dollar eighty-five. Custom, uh, the customer places a big order and more customers arrive. Audrey flops over. Seymour is told to nurse it back to good health uh, because of how well business is going in the shop. Seymour sings a song about how confused he is as to why Audrey 2 won't grow despite all he does for it. Now, I say it because Audrey 2 is obviously a female name, but Audrey 2 has a man's voice. So I'm going to sing it. Come on, getting your pronouns right. Exactly. Um, so, Seymour cuts his finger on a rose and Audrey 2 perks up. Seymour realises that Audrey 2 only wants blood and needs it to grow. Seymour goes uh, on Wilk Wilkinson's radio show for weird stuff and promotes it being at the store. Uh, Crystal, Renette and Chiffon, the uh, the, cor- the Greek chorus girls, uh, tell Audrey to dump her man for Seymour. Audrey sings a song about how much she fancies Seymour and wants to settle down and start a new life with him. Business is booming at the store and Audrey offers to help Seymour buy better clothes. We're introduced to Audrey's Elvis wannabe boyfriend, a dentist, who sings about being a dentist uh, whilst he's getting off on course in pain. Seymour meets the dentist and rants about him to Audrey too. Audrey too sings a song about uh, wanting to be fed and tells Seymour to kill the dentist. So Bill Murray, who's playing the Jack Nicholson role in this one, goes to the dentist and is far too excited to have a long, slow root canal. Seymour goes to kill the dentist, who tries to give him some dental work before taking laughing gas and knocking himself out while Seymour holds him at gunpoint. Mushnick catches Seymour chopping up the dentist's body uh, and runs away. Seymour feeds the dentist to Audrey too. Audrey's upset at first about the dentist being missing, but then talks about how it could be a miracle. Seymour and Audrey 2 sing a song about how Seymour is now there for her and is a new man before they kiss. Mushnick reveals to Seymour that he witnessed him murdering a dentist. And Audrey 2 sings a song about it being supper time uh, before eating Mushnick after he offers uh, Seymour a one-way ticket out of town. There's a song about Seymour becoming famous and he proposes to Audrey. She says yes. Seymour packs his bag to leave but Audrey 2 demands to be fed. Audrey 2 calls Audrey, sings about how fit she is. <laughs> Audrey spots this from across the street, goes over to speak to it. Audrey 2 tries to eat Audrey, but uh, Seymour thinks he's got her out just in time. Uh, now, if this was the theatrical version, he did just get her out in time, but this is the director's cut. So uh, Seymour confesses what he's been doing for Audrey 2, and uh, Audrey sings a song that... Her convinced Seymour to feed her to Audrey too, and she dies. Seymour then does feed Audrey to Audrey too. Seymour goes to jump off a roof and kill himself uh, when a businessman tells him that he took a leaf cutting uh, from Audrey too and created clones. And now every household in America will have an Audrey too. And Seymour realises this is the plan all along uh, for Audrey too to take over the world. 
So Audrey 2 breaks out of its pot and sings a song about being a mean green mother from outer space. Uh, destroys the shop and eats Seymour. Crystal, Renette and Chiffon sing about how Audrey 2 is now a popular plant across America. Encouraging people to feed it blood. It then destroys buildings and cities. Uh, eats people across America. Swallows a train amongst other acts of murdering people. The army arrives to fight it. And uh, then it climbs on top of the Statue of Liberty and bursts through a cinema screen. Uh, whereas the theatrical ending has Audrey surviving, Audrey 2 killed, and Seymour and Audrey getting married. With a little Audrey 2 in their garden. Yeah. So you're probably sick of hearing me say Audrey 2. <laughs> after that. Uh, so in Top 5 Audreys. Well, Audrey Roberts, of course, is number one on that. Uh, so, into cinematography, scares, soundtracks, and for this film, laughs. So, cinematography. Um, they're both set... Well, I mean, obviously, I was going to say something really dumb then. But 1960 is a 1960 film. It is an old school B-movie. It looks how you expect it to look. Yeah, it's cheap. It yeah. looks cheap, let's be fair. It does. It, but that's part of the charm, I believe. Yeah, it is, yeah. It's it is part of the charm, but it, it it's hokey. Let's yeah. be fair. Whereas nineteen eighty six, it feels like it was set up to look like that, and that really works really well for it. Yeah, no, it does. Just just in terms of how the film looks, you know, the original, you you get very, there's sets, isn't there? Yeah. Whereas with the remake. It feels like a whole street has been created. Yeah. You know, it, it, it exists. Whereas in the original, it's just a, well, here's the shop. Yeah. Here's Seymour's house. Mm-hmm. Here's such and such. You know, um, you, don't, you don't get the feel of an actual place, do you, in the, in the original? No, no. Um, yeah, and... and... I think, again, it is down to like the set designs and the costume designs yeah, as well. Um, it, yeah, it is very well made to look really old-fashioned. Yeah, it, it looks it looks like if, you know, if somebody closed the door too hard, it would fall down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's something that if Roger Corman had that budget, I feel like this is exactly what he would have made. Yeah, yeah, he probably would have gone all out. Roger Corman probably wouldn't have wanted a budget that big. He wouldn't know what yeah. to do with a budget that big. True. Um, so, Scares is an interesting one, because, I mean, they're not particularly scary films. So, uh, let's base it on the elements of horror, and the one that has the most horror, should we say. Um. Well, it, it's... It, I mean, in the remake... Obviously, Audrey 2 is the bad guy, mm. Audrey Jr. in the original. Um, so, it's way more elaborate. Yeah. In the, it's got teeth, and it's big, and it's quite menacing. And it actually talks a lot more. Yeah. So, in the original, it's just like, feed me, feed me. Mm. And that's it, you know. It's not that scary, is it? It's not meant to be. I mean, they're both pretty much comedies aren't yeah. they so I, I would probably say that the remake has a more menacing Audrey I'd too. say it depends which version you look at I think 
I mean, I think the subtlety works in the original, and if we're going with a theatrical ending of the remake, then I'd say the original, but I think if we're going with director's cut, then it is absolutely the remake by far. It, it, it is, but I, I, I think that's played for laughs as well, because obviously it is a take on the old yeah. monster movies. It, it, it is. It's like Rampage, isn't it? That, um, mm-hmm. Dwayne Johnson film, one based on the video game. Yeah. When you've got them all on top of buildings destroying everything. Or King Kong, of course. So, going for uh, the comedy elements, I think I'm actually going to say the original. The original was funny. It was funny. It it was really funny. I mean, it's close. It's very close. They're both funny, but I feel like the original emphasised on the comedy a lot more than the remake did. It It had some really funny side characters. So, you had the Dick Miller character mm. who ate flowers you know it was funny yeah um and then you had mrs shiva yes who was the only customer they had at the beginning and that's because somebody died every single day and it was her cousin's you know uncle's uh wife that died yeah. or my you know Stepson's second cousin removed died, and uh, that was funny. Yeah. I thought she was hilarious. I love. I am probably more into that old school style of humor, rather than sort of modern humor. I think I think for me, a lot of modern humor is based on um, cringe mm. moments. Yeah. Uh, whereas I like a sort of old school humour. And uh, so I, I thought the original was really funny. It also had the best character out of both of these films. Uh, of course, Seymour's mum. Seymour's, Seymour's mom. alcoholic mum that looks like she was about to shoot meth at one point. So in the original, <laughs> Seymour has a mum who is a gigantic hypochondriac. <laughs> and she everything that she eats has to have some sort of medicinal purposes. So she likes put Epsom salts in her food and um, she she drinks, uh, isn't it, like some sort of medicine yeah. as if it's uh, alcohol. Um, she doesn't exist in the remake. He's an orphan in the remake. Um, but in the original, he's got a crazy mum at home. Yeah, and she is so funny. <laughs> she is. Uh, she's, she is funny. Uh, funny. One character that's consistently funny in both is the Jack Nicholson character. Um, <laughs> yeah. Who's played by Bill Murray in the remake? Uh, yeah, it, it's just I, there's just something so funny about that character and the way they both play him as well. They both absolutely nail it. He's <laughs> yeah. just an absolute fucking weirdo. He's a lot more sort of I think sexual in the uh, remake. Yeah, yeah. It, it it's as if he's got a kinky fetish. Yeah, the dentist. Um, but the, the the whole basis of the character is that he loves pain. And the dentist character is a sadist and yeah. loves inflicting pain. But um, he, he, he's annoyed by this character because no matter how much pain he's inflicting, the guy's enjoying it. Yeah. Whereas he doesn't want him to enjoy it. But uh, yeah, it's a little kinkier in the, uh, <laughs> in the uh, remake. So yes, yeah, so I'd say 1960 definitely wins for comedic I think purposes. so, yeah, yeah, I think. They're both funny, but it's I love that sort of style of humour. And of course the soundtrack isn't even a competition. Yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, as a musical it works so well. 
it, it, it does. And it, it's one of those weird things where you, I can't imagine anybody watching the original and being like, this would make a great musical. Mm. And then obviously writing the stage show and, and, and doing that and then it becoming a film. I just, the, the, the imagination some people have to be able to do that yeah. Like, a, a similar one, I would say, is, you know... Um, Hairspray. Hairspray. Yeah. You know, I, I could imagine watching Hairspray. You know, Hairspray, the original, is, is almost a musical. It's, yeah. It's a film based around music. Um, so that that's a sort of easier trajectory to a stage and then movie musical. Um, but I can't imagine anyone sitting there watching, you know, Roger Corman's... Little shop of horrors and being like, I'm gonna write a musical, mm. but it works it and it works wonderfully. Yeah. And the songs are fantastic and they fit with the story because the the storylines are um, changed somewhat. It's got yeah. the same basic plot, but so, some aspects are changed. Um, so the f- songs fit into it so well. Um, and that doesn't always work. I mean, Carrie the Musical. Did you know they did Carrie the Musical? I do, yeah. Huge flop. You know, not every yeah. film can be made into a musical. Although I kind of like Carrie the Musical. But um, anyway, <laughs> in a purely ironic way. Um, but yeah, yeah. What's your, what's your favourite song from the soundtrack? Oof. Uh, I know it's near the beginning, so I don't want to sound like a cliche, but really, down on Skid Row. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Mine's probably Suddenly Seymour, mm. which is a little, probably a little more cliche. That's I've, the one everyone knows. Yeah, and it's the fact that the, the, the style of music they've gone with, it sounds like something from the 60s as well. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at um, Chiffon, Ronette... And um, Crystal. Crystal. Mm. Well, they're named after girl groups in yeah. the 60s. They really, adding them was such a good idea. It's a really good idea. They're great. They're a great sort of, uh, like I said earlier, a Greek chorus yeah. sort of helping the story along. Yeah. Yeah, and the fact that they include them as characters as well every now and then. Yeah, yeah. So that they, they're they usually um, singing along or, or singing their own song. Uh, dressed very glamorously like, you know, dream girls, mm. you know, like uh, girl groups of the 60s. But they also play sort of street urchins, I think mm-hmm. we, you would describe them. Um, and they, they get into an argument with uh, Mesh, Meshnik mm-hmm. um, about not being at school. <laughs> What's the point of school? <laughs> so, they're, yeah, they're great, they are. Yeah. So it's... Uh... I mean, the, the remake's still in the lead, but uh, yes, the cinematography scares, i say, with, with quotes. Um, and soundtrack's remake and comedic elements is the original. So on to characters. Um, I've narrowed this down a fair bit, but I, I just want to say both of these have great characters that are just minor characters, like we've already mentioned. Mm. Um, you know, they both have great casts. Well, I, I think everybody does a good job for what they need to do. I mean, everyone's a little... Uh, what's the word for it? A little 
uh, like you said, screwball comedy focus oh, in the original. Yeah. And, and for that purpose, they do a great job. Yeah. Um, whereas everyone's acting's a little more polished in the remake. You know, it's yeah, uh, absolutely. It, they both they both work. And like I said, there's so many great minor characters that we could have been here forever talking about. But sticking to the main ones, uh, we have Seymour, who is played by Jonathan Hayes in 1960, and Rick Moranis in 1986. Obviously, Rick Moranis is an absolute legend. Yeah, um, they play very. They play the the character very very similar. They do, yeah. You know, it, it's they're not too far removed from each other. He's, he's a bit of a um, a dork, really. Mm-hmm. He's clumsy and yeah. Um, I think, and and this is a strange one, but I think Rick Moranis is more um, believable as a romantic lead. Yeah. I never thought I'd say that, um, but it's true. He's the, the romance between Audrey and Seymour, I think, is a little more believable yeah. in the remake. I mean, the the character of Audrey is better in the remake um, as a whole, a bit more yes. fleshed out. But I mean, we'll get to yeah. that shortly. But yeah. it's, it's weird because Rick Moranis was, like, he was born to play this role. He's perfect. Yeah. Like... The, the, there is a certain resemblance there between him and Jonathan Hayes that is uncanny um, with the way they talk and the way they act and everything. He, he really nailed it. Um, and he's not a bad singer. No, no. And of course, he's not known as a singer, but he, he's not a terrible singer. It's not the kind of film where you need, uh, apart from Ellen Green uh, as, as Audrey. Yeah. You know, oh, oh and um, is it Beatrice Ring. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, not Beatrice Ring. I know what you mean. Yeah, um, the, the lady at the beginning. No one else really needs to. Oh, and, and obviously. Actually, quite a few characters need to belt out. <laughs> Seymour doesn't need to belt out the high no. notes, so Rick Moranis is perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's a close one, um, but I'm, I'm going to say Rick Moranis. Yeah. Uh, Audrey, 1960s, played by Jackie Joseph, and 1986 by Ellen Green. And I, I really like the character in both. I do. I, you know, I like her for being like the, uh, I, I don't know what the word is for it. That type of character. That's... Um, ditzy. Yeah. Like a klutz, is that? Yeah, there's a ditziness yeah. to her where she doesn't quite, she, she's always kind of maybe a, a, a beat behind everybody yeah. else. Uh, in a way, she's completely out of uh, Seymour's league, but she doesn't realise that and thinks that he's like the best <laughs> yeah. guy she's ever seen in life. Um, I mean, I, I like her character for what she is in the original, but the 1986 version completely wins this one because it, she's so much more interesting. There's a, yeah. there's a bigger story there at hand and, and quite a serious one. Yeah, she's way more fleshed out. Yeah. I mean, in the original, she is just kind of... She's just the, the, the romantic... Yeah. Girl, you know, um, it, she doesn't do much. No. There's not much for her to do. She's, like I said, a, a ditzy character. Um, so she has her moments uh, of comedy, um, but she she's really not got much to do. Whereas in the remake, she's, she's an, a real exaggeration of that character. Yeah. You know, she's blonde. Um, she's always got a real low cleavage, hasn't she? Yes. Um, real low-cut top. 
Um, but there's also this story because it, it, in the original, Audrey's just a single girl. Mm. And, you know, she has a, a romance with Seymour. Whereas in the remake, Audrey is already in a relationship with the dentist. Yeah. And the dentist beats her up. It's a little awkward sometimes when it's played for laughs. Mm. Something that hasn't aged particularly well, I, I thought. Yeah. Um, sometimes it is played for laughs. Um, but, you know, she is a victim of domestic abuse and you, you really feel for her. Which is why the, the director's cut with that dark hint and is so sad. Yeah. Because you really feel for her and then she think she's fed to Audrey too. Like, oh my God. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I mean, it doesn't... It, as much as it is played for laugh at times, it does make you aware that it's not all right and, you know, obviously a dentist gets his just desserts. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, which also is another honourable mention because I haven't got that down as a main character but Steve Martin uh, does a really, really good job Oh, Steve dentist. Martin does a fantastic job. He, the, the dentist in the original is barely there. Yeah. Um, whereas he gets a, a big song number, yeah. you know, and he does really well, Steve Martin. Of course, Steve Martin's a comedy legend. Mm-hmm. He's great. Yeah, doing his best Alva's impression. He is, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think Ellen Green really is so suited for this role. Um, it, she was, actually. I do think Cindy Lauper would have done it justice. Yeah, I think but so. Ellen Green did a fantastic job. I believe she played Audrey on Broadway production, if I remember okay. correctly. Because I don't think she was a big movie star beforehand. No. Um, because you get it sometimes uh, with musicals being, you know, made into films, is that whoever portrayed them on stage doesn't get chosen for the movie. Yeah. I mean, um, it's particularly with women, let's be fair. Um, the famous examples are uh, Audrey Hepburn being chosen to play Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady when Julie Andrews had originated it on the stage, mm-hmm. to great success. Um, and Angela Lansbury uh, played Mame on stage, again, to great success. When they made the film, um, they chose Lucille Ball to play the role, and it was a massive flop, because Lucille Ball can't sing for shit. Even though I love her, and she's obviously a great comedian. I just read it to filth, so... <laughs> yeah, I didn't. The, the feedback was she was not right for the role, and Angela Lansbury should have had it. So sometimes <laughs> that happens in films. I'm glad it didn't with this one, if, if, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. So, the uh, of course, the, the better Audrey is 1986, Ellen Green. Uh, moving to Mushnick, 1960, played by Mel Wells. Uh, 1986 by Vincent Gardinia. Gardinia? Wow, that's a weird name. Um, Gardinia. Gardinia, thank you. I'm. You know what? I think I'm going to say 1960 for this one. I think Mel Wells did a better job. Yeah, I, th- I think his character was more comedic in the yeah. original. Um, I don't know, Vincent Gardinia did a great job, though. He did do a good job, but I feel like Mel Wells was just told to just go around shouting in people's faces. Because <laughs> yeah. that opening scene, it's just so much chaos. Like, it's just everybody just talking at once, and all you can hear is him just shouting over everybody else. I think he gets... I don't know. I feel like he's got more screen time in the original. Yes. Yeah. Well, he's he's not killed off in the original. No. He's killed in the remake. 
Uh, what is he like? What is he the first one killed? The second. Second yeah. one killed in the remake. So he d- he doesn't. Let's be fair. It's a bit of a one note character. Yeah. Um and and it it doesn't need to be multi layered. Um, it just so kind of tells Seymour off a lot yeah. and. Yeah, you know, it's very money orientated. Yeah, in the original, you got the whole him telling that's his he's his new son, thinking everything. Yeah, that's I, quite, that is funny. Yeah, I think comedically, comedic wise, I think uh, Mel Wells did a better job. Yeah, and I don't think he the character particularly stands out in the remake. No, he doesn't get a song. No, he doesn't. No, you know, everybody gets a song, and and he doesn't. He doesn't need a song. No, for his character, um, but he doesn't get a song, so he doesn't necessarily stand out. Really, because you know, the, the dentist gets a song. You yeah, know, you think of the dentist, his song, <laughs> you know, his song and dance number. Um, whereas he doesn't really have much to do, particularly. So I'm, I'm gonna say Mel Wells. What are you saying? I'm gonna say Mel Wells, and I think Mel Wells was a, a quite a renowned comedian, afterwards. So yeah. he does it really well. And finally, Audrey Junior or Audrey Two. <laughs> Um, I think this is absolutely a no contest. <laughs> yeah. Um, Audrey Jr. literally <laughs> speaks, but the mouth don't move. <laughs> um, and only says, feed me. And, <laughs> and uh, that's a bad it. Yeah. And it is, you know, let, let's be fair. It's a bit like, you know, arts and crafts. Yeah. Um, whereas in the remake, Audrey 2 is a fully recognised character, fantastic voice acting, mm-hmm. and, you know, singing. Yeah. Has, what, two numbers? Two musical numbers? Maybe more than that. I think maybe, but two proper musical yeah. numbers. Um, and is looks great. I mean, looks fantastic. For 1986... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The effects look phenomenal still to this day. Yeah, the, it's it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable it, that people would go with CGI for a lot of creature features nowadays. When something like this, you know, it, it looks twice as good as a lot of big budget CGI films these days. Yeah, yeah, it it looks bad. but then obviously it's very expensive and time consuming. Yeah, that, you know, there's a yeah. reason why this was the you know. Um, biggest budget was it Warner Brothers did you say yes yeah, yeah. biggest bu- budgeted Warner Brothers film at the time you know all that shit costs a lot of money mm-hmm. and a lot of people you know whereas if you know cheapo CGI mm-hmm. let's be fair it looks shit okay admittedly um, but is a lot quicker and a lot cheaper yeah I just hope because they're doing another remake of this I hope they don't go with CGI for that I would be disappointed if they did because mm-hmm. I, st- I still don't think CGI will ever get the feel that Audrey 2 had in the movie. No, no. I, I just don't think it's possible. Um, and I hope they don't do that thing where they blend the two together. No. Because I think it looks silly. They need to do exactly what they did with this. Because it was a fucking plan of a personality and it's, it's not yeah. often you get that. Yeah, no. It's true, and it works. Um, the remake, I think, uh, it's going to be big budget. I mean, mm. you've got Scarlett Johansson, um, Chris Evans. Yeah. Uh, Billy Porter. 
mm-hmm. you know, some big names in it. So I, I'm assuming a lot of money is going to be sent their way. Yeah. So let's hope in the budget they have enough time and for the uh, animatronics. So overall, uh, I think it's a no-brainer at this point from where I think we've said that the remake is better than the original. But it's like I said, it's so close because they work for completely separate reasons. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, it's it, nineteen sixty. I mean, you can't always make excuses for films, but it is a really low budget film. Yeah, from sixty years ago. Yeah, you know, it's not going to hold up in twenty twenty. It, it's not, you're not going to look at it and think, oh, wow, this is as fresh as it was in 1960 mm. years ago. It, it ain't the case. It ain't going to work like that. But in the context of a really very low-budget film in 1960, it entertains. Yeah. It's funny. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it has the decency to be a nice, quick film. That you, you know, it doesn't overstay its welcome. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just, it's a fun time. A fun time had by all. Yeah. Whereas the remake is just a great film. It's it is. It's really very well made, very well acted, um, looks great. The soundtrack is really great. It's one of my favourite musical soundtracks, you know, and it really holds up now. Um, yeah. How many years later? 34 years exactly. later? Exactly. Yeah. Still holds up. Yes. So, Little Shop of Horrors, 1986 is our winner. But still, check out 1960 because it is on YouTube. It is on YouTube, yeah. And and I think, is it colourised somewhere? It's on Amazon it's, Prime. Yeah, don't watch the colourised version. Colourised version. version. I don't, have we ever seen a film colourised? No, and there's a good reason for that. Not done it. <laughs> So yeah, so that is Original Versus Remake for this month. Now on to our best and worst of the month. Oh my lord. So I'm going to go first. Yes. Start positive. Best film of the month. I'm going to say something I already spoke about in depth on this podcast. So I've got two choices because of that. I've got to back up. But my, my main one is, because it's my film of the year as well, is of course David Byrne's American Utopia. Uh, if you listen to our BFI coverage part two episode, we speak about how great it is on there. Um, it's just perfection. It's one of the most optimistic films released this year. So much fun. You know, amazing songs. Great cinematography. For a concert film, it looks like a film. Uh, obviously, Spike Lee's behind it. It's just, it's a masterpiece. Um but because I've already spoke about that in depth, I'm going to say my other best in the month is The Innocence, a, uh, a film we did mention on the podcast. Um, a ghost film from the early 60s. Um, shit, we did speak about this in depth as well. So there you go, I've already spoke about my best, <laughs> both of my best of the month. But you know, we watched a lot of great films. It's been um, 31 Days of Horror, so we've watched a lot of horror films. Um, we, we've watched a lot of films this month. Yeah. Um, for podcast, 31 Days of Horror, BFI, um, Film Festival, and Fright Fest as well. So it's been really busy for us. Yeah. It's actually been quite refreshing to watch some films from 2020. <laughs> because... Uh, if you're a re- if you're a regular listener, um, a lot of the films we've been giving as our top and, and, um, and bottoms of the month 
yeah um have been older films and they've had to have been because we can't go to the cinema yeah so it's so re- refreshing to actually watch some new films yeah because when we started this it was always strictly new release films best and worst at the moment mm. uh, you know we would never go through any of the older films but yeah this movie is nice to have that there because the worst film of the month is a film from 2020 or if it ever gets a release uh, do you want to say your best first? Because if this isn't your worst, then you can get the fuck out. It probably <laughs> is. Uh, so my favourite... There's me talking about watching new films. Uh, my favourite of the month was Quaidon. Oh, shit! Scrap what I said. Quaidon is absolutely my best of the month. Quaidon is a... It really is. How did I miss that? How the fuck did I miss how it? How silly I mean, you. I still stand by American Utopian Innocence. are great films, but yes. Quaidon is absolutely my best of the month. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love The Innocence as well and American Utopia because I'm a huge David Byrne and Talking Heads fan. But Quaidon is just fuck, a, a masterpiece on another level. It's a... Hard to describe... It's the best it? anthology film ever made. It's, yes. It's, it's... How many separate stories? Four. 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 Yeah. Four separate stories. It's from 1964. It's a long film. It's three hours. Um, it doesn't feel like... It doesn't feel three hours. And it's just... It's a great mix of horror and fantasy and... Um, a little bit, you know, just... A real great representation of Japanese culture, isn't yeah. it? It's hard. It's so hard you, to describe. Honestly, because it's a little bit of everything. You might as well, you know, you might as well be looking in an art gallery whilst watching it. it yeah, it's beautiful film incredible. to look at. Yeah, you talk about practical effects. Yeah, you look at what they've created in films such as Quaidon, and and I I would highly recommend it to anyone. Mm. Um, horror fan, non-horror fan, really, because it, it it's not that graphic. I, I put this quite up on my favourite films yeah, of absolutely. all time. It's, it's a PG. I, I don't know how, but it's a PG. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know how. It's got boobs in it. It's well. <laughs> Honestly, it's it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe I forgot we watched it. Yeah. That, that just shows how much we watched this month. And I'm going to happily say this, because there's no other answer. Our worst of the month... Is a film that we promised we'd speak a little more about. It's Dangerous to Know. Yes. Dangerous to Know. So again, a film we watched at Fright Fest. Dangerous to Watch. Yeah. Dangerous to Discuss. A three-hour film that we were promised was (laughs) about the meaning of life. Um, Apparently, it does a certain psychology effect that makes you forget certain things. uh, And then more surprising when they reappear. Um, the director is apparently an award-winning director um, for his film that I can't remember the name of um, prior to this. Fun fact, Fryfest clearly didn't fact-check this because he's not won a single award in his life. <laughs> and his previous project had five people watch it and give it a 9.5 on IMDb. So that film won no fucking awards. No one fucking watched it. <laughs> But it's seriously though. Someone's spilling the tea. Well, I I just thought this was dire. I I you know we've just discussed Quaidon, which is a three hour film that you don't yeah, feel the perfect three hours. perfect comparison. You feel every single second of this film. <laughs> this film ends with a character saying, "And that was my masterpiece." That was written by the director. 
The director wrote this film. He edited it. He composed it. He starred in it. He did everything. He did a Tommy Wiseau, but yet he couldn't make it entertaining like Tommy Wiseau made The Room. This was fucking bullshit. Like, I don't know to this day. All I know is a woman tried to commit suicide and to make her feel better, they sent her out into the woods on her own. That's all I know. Yeah. That, the rest of the film didn't make any sense. But her ex-boyfriend um, that had a restraining order on her um, because she was being um, too full on with him mm. after their breakup. He goes there and it turns out that he's uh, planning on killing her and her brother who's gone to visit and this is drawn out so long. Yeah. And the plot, it's, it's a very thin plot for three hours. Yeah. And it's very wordy. The one, most of the film is made up of monologues. Yeah. Like we get a half hour, a half hour monologue. He's just talking and talking, but it's not making any sense. It really, it, it's really dire. Um, painful it was a painful watch as if what you've already heard from us doesn't sound bad enough the soundtrack the awful soundtrack might i add composed by the director plays from the moment we had an introduction from the director who also compared this to the empire strikes back he can go fuck himself (sighs) not not even close he begs people to keep this film secret because there are Empire Strike ba- Strikes Back style spoilers in this. That's not true. He told a massive lie. One of many lies he's told. Um, the, the soundtrack started playing during the introduction and didn't stop until the end of the film. And it was very loud. The sound editing was awful. So you had these long, dreary monologues that sometimes you couldn't actually hear what he was saying. Because the soundtrack was so loud. Yeah, the dialogue, you could barely hear a thing. And the editing was so bad. Frank, I should have checked this. Absolutely. Because this isn't the sort of thing you show at a film festival. No. It, it isn't complete. Clearly, it's not completed. And the only character you can hear louder than the soundtrack is a piece of shit, misogynistic character at the start who he sounds exactly like Tommy Wiseau. If you don't look at the screen, he sounds exactly like him. And he just keeps saying, ah, oh, she's bitch, you, you're pussy, you speak to her. Ah, oh, she's a bitch, pussy, bitch, constantly. And he's like, oh, oh, that girl, <laughs> she's like character from horror film. <laughs> it's like, why? What are you fucking talking about? And then he like, said he's glad that she tried to commit suicide. The fuck? It's honestly, it comes across as the director wrote that character because he doesn't have much lot of girls himself, so that character is his revenge. Yeah, it it was. I, I don't know what went through anyone's mind who greenlit this, created this, and distributed this. Well, the director did it all himself, and like he pretended he had a Kickstarter, apparently, allegedly. And uh, we we know you love the tea here at Horror Culture Shiver. Allegedly, he created loads of fake accounts for a Kickstarter to make it look like the film was more popular than it was. Mm. He pretended to be Mike Flanagan, oh. and said that he had great faith in the film and had directed a visionary. Oh, he pretended he got like a quote from Mike Flanagan. Yeah, he, yeah, <gasps> and uh, oh. yeah, basically. Uh, 
allegedly funded all of this himself, but pretended it was other people <gasps> to get people's attention. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, and it's believable. I mean, he told Jeez people he won fucking awards. Yeah. Well, it, it was dire. You probably It probably won't get a wide release. You, you'll probably never see it anywhere. Um, if you do and you are sadistic, if you're a bit like um, Bill Murray in the <laughs> uh, Little Shop of Horrors remake and you get a kinky little thrill from uh, Pain, then uh, I fully recommend this. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Three hours of sheer pain and headache-inducing soundtracks. Uh, I'd just like to give a little shout-out to a couple of films. We, we've got a fair bit of time, actually. Um, so, you bought two Blu-rays from oh, the... Oh, whilst I remember, before you go to this, oh. uh, I want to give a shout-out to uh, Lucky as well. And Benny Loves You and Sist, because they're all great. Yes. Yeah. We did discuss them last time, didn't we? We did, but yeah. I just forgot some honourable oh, mentions okay. as in 2020 releases. Um, so, Gary purchased the two newest releases from the 88 film Slasher Collection. Um, Ten to Midnight, which I'd just like to say is, was one of our favourite watches of the month. Uh, yeah, it's scheduled for a podcast episode. Is it? I've, I've scheduled You've it in. You've scheduled it in? I'm sorry. There's no way we're not going to talk about Charles Bronson and his fucking meaty moustache chasing around a guy with his dick out for fucking <laughs> an hour and 40 minutes. There's, there's, we can't not discuss that. So, this is, this is the moment I tell you, please watch it. I believe it's on Netflix. Is it really? I do think it's on oh. Netflix. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. If it's not on Netflix, buy it. Yeah. Watch it before our podcast. It's definitely one of those that needs to be seen to be believed. Yeah. It is bizarre. But we we loved it. It It was was a great watch. It's not a masterpiece, let's be fair. Wow. But it's such a fun watch. But at the same time, you purchased the other Slasher Collection (laughs) release of Moon in Scorpio. Um, a Brit Eklund film from the late 80s. So she was a little past her prime, weren't she? Yeah. Uh, particularly in her acting. She's still a gorgeous woman, but her acting was fucking abysmal. Everybody's acting was abysmal. It was a really boring film about... A, it, it's sort of painted to be a ghost ship film, isn't it? Yeah. But... um. It really just a really dreary, boring. It's trying to be a deer hunter. Dry, slash. Like I a, think it was trying to be yeah, the deer hunter sl- in like a slasher setting. If if that bullshit. sounds shit, then it's because it is shit. Yeah, yeah. Um. So I I just thought it was funny that we bought those two, and we were probably looking forward to Moon in Scorpio a little more because we quite liked the trailer. Yeah. And we just thought Ten to Midnight might might be. Absolute crap. Um, it turns out it was the other way around. <laughs> Honestly, I can't wait to talk about it. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's going to be the first episode of next year. Um, because, I mean, what better way to start a year? Because uh, uh, we've watched so many films for the 31 Days of Horror and, and new films as well. Uh, shout out to Night of the Demon. Uh, yeah, that was great. From the, the that, 50s. Yeah. That was a great film. From the same director as uh, Cat People. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was great. And a great release, uh, the, the Blu-ray. Indicator. Indicator. That was great. 
Um, shout out to a Midnight Outtake Your Soul. Yes. Uh, a wonderful, it was a Brazilian film yeah. from the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coffin Joe, which was quite a renowned figure yeah. in horror, uh, particularly in sort of well, Latin America. We, obviously, we posted all these on our Instagram, and everyone's response has been great this mm. month. Um, you know, normally I'd read them out each week, but we've had so many from so many different films, it would take up about 20 minutes of the episode. It would, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, particularly Coffin Joe, uh, Midnight Take Your Soul, that had a really great response. And I was quite surprised. I didn't know how well known it was. Yeah, I mean, I bought the box set on a random whim years ago. And I mean years ago. And never got round to watch it. Um, and then we did. And uh, really enjoyed it. Yeah. And it's one of those who are like, oh, why did I not watch this sooner? Because yeah. there's quite a few in, in the uh, sort of Coffin Joe franchise, as you'd call it. Um, but yeah, so... That's half our episode dedicated to our ups and downs. Yeah. <laughs> but it's been a it's been a a busy month yeah. film watching wise and and quite a rewarding one. There's quite a few films that we'll watch in the future again because we really enjoyed them. And yeah. one we're doing a podcast on. Exactly. So, if you're on social media, uh, I mean, obviously, I've just said how busy we've been on social media. Of course, you're on social media. We listen to this. We're Horror Court Trash over on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Horror Court Trash on Twitter. Uh, talk to us about a little shop of horrors. Talk to us about what you've been watching this month. Uh, if you're on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. Like, follow on everything else. Follow us on Spotify. I'm Gazmo205 on Instagram. Gazcruz92 on Twitter. And DeadoutGaz92 on Letterboxd. I'm ChrisBarker823 on Letterboxd, Instagram, and Twitter. We will be back. I'm going to try and remember this. We'll be back tomorrow on Halloween with our 20 scariest movie moments episode, uh, which we'll also be releasing a YouTube playlist with those moments on there. Yeah, they're all on YouTube, so that'll be a great watch. Yeah. Uh, We're back on Tuesday with S Club, C and Double. (laughs) So the month for Halloween is over. And we're back to the trash. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I forgot so. what it's like to talk about it. trash. I might, think, I might think it's a masterpiece. Who knows? I've never seen it before. We'll see about that. <laughs> and next month's original versus remake, we'll be talking about Sorority Row. Both great films. Again. Yeah, nice. We've got to stop doing this to ourselves. It's making it difficult. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, House of Sorority Row and Sorority Row, if you fancy watching in advance. Both great films. Both on Prime, I believe. So, we will see you in uh, less than 24 hours. (laughs) See you tomorrow. See you soon. Bye.